Welcome to the Audit Podcast, the number one podcast for the audit profession. Be sure to check the show notes for all of our social media channels and to sign up for the Audit Podcast newsletter. Now, here's your host, Trent Russell. This podcast is sponsored by Green Skies Analytics, where they do everything tech-related, but only for internal audit. Although compliance and risk management, y'all are cool too, so feel free to check it out also. To find out more, please visit greenskiesanalytics.com, but it's more likely that you're just going to Google it. So to find out more, please Google Green Skies Analytics. This podcast is also brought to you by AuditBoard, the leading cloud-based platform transforming how enterprises manage risk. AuditBoard's integrated suite of easy-to-use audit, risk, and compliance solutions streamlines internal audit, SOX compliance, risk management, and security compliance. Automate processes and improve execution with AuditBoard's purpose-built solution, which is designed to address the most pressing challenges of today's practitioners. Experience the latest in audit, risk, and compliance technology. Visit AuditBoard.com to schedule your product walkthrough to see AuditBoard's award-winning platform in action today. Today, we have Neil Gonsalves on the show. Neil is the founder and CEO of ARC360. That's AARC360. The AARC stands for Assurance Advisory Risk and Compliance. And at ARC360 uh, is a firm of CPAs and advisors registered with the PCAOB. They combine deep insights, gain across industries to provide assurance, advisory, risk, and compliance services. Before founding ARC360, Neil was a senior manager at Ernst & Young, and he was responsible for the delivery of over 200 SAS 70 and trust service examinations. So SAS 70 is the uh, former SOC report that we talk about uh, on the show and that you probably heard mentioned on the podcast before or just kind of in the, the audit circle. Uh, Neil is also responsible for developing the content for SAS 70 engagement software used by EY's area personnel. So Neil knows a lot about SOC, uh, SOC reports here. So that's obviously a topic of conversation that we talked about. We also talk about examples of how internal audit can play a more dominant role in IT compliance, um, examples of automating IT controls. And this is what Neil is, I think, very, very good at is being able to talk about the theory and then give the example of what it actually is. So it's it's fantastic on those topics uh, specifically. And then we demystify what Neil calls the compliance alphabet soup of SOC 1, SOC 2, high trust, um, type 1, type 2, and all that kind of good stuff. So again, Neil does a really good, really good job of giving examples of what these are and then kind of explaining what they are also. So I think this is a good one for everyone to listen to, especially if you're not in the IT audit world. Um, if you're on maybe the operations side, this is a really good one to kind of understand some of what's going on in IT, because obviously that's where um, the profession is headed as businesses are obviously headed in that direction also. So here we go. One of the main topics we we're talking about is how can internal audit play a more dominant role in IT compliance and you being kind of the expert in that space, I'd love your opinion on that. Sure. Uh, so uh, Trent, first and foremost, you know, thanks for having me on your uh, podcast. You know, uh, as I was looking at your website, you know, I saw your focus on internal audit. And, um, you know, I honestly believe that there is a huge opportunity uh, for internal audit to kind of be more involved and drive value 
to their organizations by getting involved with IT security and compliance. You know, thus far, uh, I've not I've seen some of it, but you know, only with some of the larger companies. But generally speaking, this is typically across the board. You know, I would love to see internal audit get more involved. Um, you know, with IT compliance and security in small to mid-sized organizations as well. You know, and I believe that there is a huge opportunity out there. So, uh, so, so happy to be on the call. Uh, I think, you know, one of the things, you know, from an IT compliance uh, perspective, uh, for me, I like to understand things with an example and explain things with an example as well. And hopefully this makes it a little bit real for your audience, you know, whoever is listening to this. Uh, so, so let me take a couple of examples in terms of how I believe internal audit can be more involved or, you know, like I said, drive value towards their organizations by getting, uh, you know, hooked up with IT compliance. So, uh, so first uh, to start off with, let's talk about SOC examinations, okay? And these are reports under the AICPA framework. The SOC examinations uh, permit for the use of internal audit uh, in the performance of these examinations. You know, so it allows the service auditor who's performing the audit to actually take credit for the help from internal audit. There are two broad areas that internal audit can contribute towards. The first one being um, you know, this, the gathering and the supply of evidence, right? Internal audit is anyway through their procedures, you know, gathering a lot of this evidence and maintaining it for their work papers, right? So as an extension of that, can they also help the service auditor or the SOC auditor, uh, as they might commonly be known as, gather some of that evidence while they are in the course of performing their own procedures, correct? And so that way there's no duplication and they can drive efficiency, but they can also drive effectiveness at the same time, correct? So that's one example in terms of gathering the evidence. But the other area that I see more value in is actually the service auditor being able to take credit for the work done by internal audit within their own SOC review procedures, mm -hmm. correct? So a simple example would mean if I were to test a sample of 25 new users, correct? But if internal audit has already done that, I could literally credit for their work and I need to test a much smaller sample now, right? I mean, I still have to assess their objectivity and competence and you know their procedures, but if I can get comfort around that, significantly reduce the work that the external auditor has to perform. But at the same time, you know, the value that is being brought towards the audit is huge, correct? Who better, you know, to test those controls than internal audit who's there all the time, right? So that's one huge area that I can see. So it's it's driving value, but then also helping companies manage their costs. You know, and I think that is a huge value perspective that I see that can be really beneficial. Let me also give you another example, which I think, you know, I've started to see a little bit of this, but still it's not very rampant, is many companies are now starting to implement GRC tools, correct? You know, to help, you know, with their internal audit or, you know, even with their external audit procedures. And I think that's where internal audit can kind of play a huge part in terms of helping rationalize controls, you know, we, um, you know, one of the areas, uh, you know, that we get asked most often is we've got various compliance initiatives. How do we rationalize all of this? And internal audit, I think, can play a huge part by getting involved with, you know, the implementation of those GRC tools, you know, and, and that's, again, you know, my whole objective is saying help drive efficiency and effectiveness 
towards IT compliance, correct? And those are just a couple of examples wherein I believe that internal audit can get more involved. Yeah, and I think that comes down to, uh, and let me know if you agree, it sounds like it comes down a lot to just the effective communication between the everybody that's kind of involved so that we know, hey, internal audit's already tested this, we're good with it, you know, and, and, and so having that communication. I think in, in doing this um, audit, as long as I have, even when we have a finding, if we like go down to root cause, most of the time it's because of ineffective communication somewhere along the line. So like communication has just kind of been this kick that I've been on for, uh, for most of the year now. And so it sounds like that's what this can boil down to is, is the communication that's needed. Absolutely. And you know, the one thing I'll just tell your audience as well, you know, that, you know, internal audit shouldn't feel bashful. You know, I've worked with some fantastic internal audit teams. And you know, y'all do a, you know, these teams do a hell of a lot of good work, you know. And I think you shouldn't be bashful about, you know, blowing your own horn out there, right? You know, I mean, that's that's, you know, go out there and and tell the world what good stuff you are doing, you know. And and you know, that's why you said communication. So I 100% agree with you on that. That's great. I love that. Uh, love that perception. Um, I know something else that you're you're passionate about is the automation of IT controls, and so and I know you like to give examples too, and uh, we love examples. So could you kind of lay out some examples there? Um, I've got some 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 ones that I would like to ask you about, maybe if you don't hit on them, but we kind of walk us through that yeah. and, uh, benefits and uh, you know all the goodness that comes with that. Yeah, yeah. So I think you know talking about. Uh driving automation in the testing of IT controls. Again, you know, it's not only making things more efficient, but also making things a lot more effective, correct? I think at the end of the day, we want a good, good audit, you know, to be performed. Uh, so again, you know, just a couple of examples and, you know, the, the most common example that we run into uh, is change control. You know, that is the area that is typically a bone of contention, right? You know, most of the SOC reports that you see or any of the PCI reports that I have, if at all there's an issue, there's a very good chance that it is focused around change control. You know, I think that is a, go ahead. But, but uh, before you go into that, for the the, the broader audience, it's not in IT audit, uh, might not understand what you mean by change control. C can you kind of walk through what that is? Sure, sure. I think that's a good question. Sorry, I made an assumption that no, your broader audience knows that. But, um, you know, so change control, essentially, um, you know, when, when, uh, a uh, when a company has an information system, uh, while the system is up and running, many a times uh, there are you know cha programmatic changes that need to be made to those systems. Whether it is regular updates to improve the functionality of those systems, or whether it is just managing day-to-day -day bugs or fixes with the system. Uh, so there are a set of developers that actually program those changes, and then there should be a controlled process to move those changes is into the production environment. So that typically is what the change control process is. And, you know, just like any other process, uh, you know, it has got to be well controlled because if you don't move the right changes into the production environment, then guess what? Your computer system is going to continue to make those errors perpetually, right? So it is extremely important to ensure that there's a well-controlled uh, change management process within each organization. So hopefully that, I kind of tried to explain that in the, you know, simplest terms, but I hope I did justice to and, that. And the way I uh, explain it, for those that have seen the movie Office Space, um, that is an ineffective change management environment. So I don't know if, you, if you've seen it, but um, they basically, 
uh, steal a bunch of money from the company because they're software developers. They know how to, they, they, they know the system, they know the code. Um, and so they basically put in code into the production environment that allowed them to like, and they created a bank account and allowed them to steal money. So if there was an effective change management control environment at that company, but if they had effective change management controls at that company in the movie, there would be no movie. So anyway, I always like to, uh, like, I always like to throw that example out there. So, okay. Anyway, so we're going to automate that, that process. Okay. Go. Or the so, controls. So, so essentially one of the key tests, uh, when we are looking at change control is to ensure that, uh, there is, uh, appropriate approval of creating that change into the production environment, correct? So only authorized changes should be made to the production environment, you know, at the very uh, basic terms. But with, you know, systems that are kind of widespread and so much of automation in there, sometimes it's really mind boggling to say, how do I know that only an authorized change was made to the production environment, right? How do I know that someone, that a developer did not have some backdoor entry to go ahead and make a change that no one really you know, took notice of. So there is that risk of an unauthorized change being moved into the production environment. So how can internal audit help, right? Typically, if there is a, a good audit log that is turned on you know, to track every change that was made to the production environment, what can happen is that you know, in today's day and age, you can run some sort of an automated script that is constantly tracking that. So almost like a bot, correct? You know? mm -hmm that is constantly tracking what changes are being made to the production environment. And the moment it sees something, it automatically creates a log. Now, internal audit can take that log and compare it with the change ticketing system. That's where everything is tracked and truly do an automated match and see whether for that change that got migrated into the production environment, was there truly an approval or did it just get missed out, correct? So an automated match. So again, you know, that's almost a real time thing that can happen and, and it's, it's huge, right? I mean, in terms of, uh, you know, issues taking place, this is one classic example and internal audit, like I said, can play a huge part in automating that testing, but at the end of the day, give better results as well, correct? So that is just one example. Yeah, and that one's always kind of a pain. So that, you know, like change management is part of the IT general controls um, bucket of controls. Right. And it was always probably one of my least favorite ones to test <laughs> because we had to get, Here's a list of changes. Um, and then we had to go get the tickets and see, you know, manually, because the tickets were basically, uh, they would print them off and put them in a PDF. So there wasn't a whole lot we could sure. do about it. Um, and this was, you know, 15 years ago. Um, but then have to go through and like manually look at all that uh, information was, it was definitely my least, <laughs> my least favorite one. But uh, what other, what are some other outside of change management? What are some other good ones? Or maybe a better way to put it is, because I know with like change management, um, you might not have like the ticketing system might have, um, like you might not be able to do that, that comparison, um, because right. it might be in a PDF or something like that. You might not have access to the data or the data doesn't really exist in that format. So what are some other maybe quick wins as a way to put it or other areas that we could also look to automate? Yes. So I think another classic example, again, sticking to IT general controls, but on the user access front now, you know, so that's another, uh, classic area. Uh, you know, in larger companies, you know, there are thousands of users that are getting that are getting added on every week after week. Uh, you know, and and more importantly, you've got to ensure that there's adequate segregation of duties, correct? So identity and access management also comes into play. So there's lots of things with the user provisioning process, 
And I believe that's another classic example wherein you know, a user gets added onto the system, but there's really no trail to say, was this user actually approved and you know, did they get the right access? So typically you would have a user access request form out here. Now, again, it could be a paper-based form or it could be an automated system, correct? So if internal audit gets involved and tracks all users that actually got added onto the system and automates the match with the approval process, then you know, that's a classic way of saying that, okay, well, I don't have to go and test you know, all users. I'm getting a 100% sample out here, right? So my confidence level increases significantly and you know, a much better audit. You know? And if there is any anomalies that are there, then those are the ones that they can focus on. You know? So that's another classic example of how to automate the testing of IT controls. Yeah, I like that one. And you can do that. And then if you're, since you're doing it across the board, you can see maybe a, a specific manager isn't doing like a timely approval or there's no approval at all. And you can almost get like a count of those, especially depending on how far back you go with that, uh, with that test in terms of uh, years. And then you can, you know, it's, and from there, it's just an education, um, educating the manager on that. Like, hey, look, we've seen that you're not approving these timely or, or not at all in some cases. And Here's the importance of why you you know you should and, and things like that. So that's kind of a one of the the benefits of automation and analytics is being able to quantify um, the results. Hey everyone, thank you for continuing to listen to the show. We want to say thank you again to our sponsors over at AuditBoard, the leading cloud-based platform transforming how enterprises manage risk. AuditBoard's integrated suite of easy to use audit, risk, and compliance solutions streamlines internal audit. SOX compliance, risk management, and security compliance. Automate processes and improve execution with AuditBoard's purpose-built solution, which is designed to address the most pressing challenges of today's practitioners. Experience the latest in audit, risk, and compliance technology. Visit auditboard.com to schedule your product walkthrough to see AuditBoard's award-winning platform in action today. One of my favorite analytics tests, because it's probably the first one I ever did, was the classic uh, user access control around terminated users. And so this company was great. And if you, so if you have, it, it can be difficult depending on uh, the data, but uh, this company specifically, probably, I don't know, I think there's like 60 Inscope applications, probably 45 of them all authenticated with their, um, their employee ID. And so that was their, their login. And then obviously we could get the terminated user listing from HR that had their um, employee ID. And that was a simple comparison. You know, we didn't have to clean the data. It wasn't like a first name, last name kind of thing that can get kind of tricky. And so we were able to do that across, you know, 45 systems. Um, and especially if you can just aggregate all those systems into one file, basically, and then compare it to the other, then you can start to see um, where the issues are like very easily. And that one's really easy to do and automate and, um, there's always going to be, you're always going to find something with that one. That was always a favorite of mine. Do you have any more uh, favorites of yours? Uh, you, you know, some other low hanging fruit are again, you know, in the, in the area of, uh, you know, uh, op systems operations, right? I'll give you three different ones, you know, change control, user access and systems operations. Uh, you, you know, typically things like antivirus, right? I mean, that's another classic example, you know, wherein, uh, there are systems that now actually push these, but you know, just a very recent example is we had a client wherein for a period of time, their antivirus server actually shut down. Mm -hmm. So you know, if there was some automated way to you know, check those logs on a regular basis, wherein you know, the moment there was some failure, somebody would have been notified about it, 
you know, that would have been another classic example of where an internal audit could have, you know, done some testing at an early, early stage rather than wait for the external auditor to come in at some later point in time and then find it out at the back end, correct? So, you know, almost real-time ongoing monitoring is another classic example in the systems operations space. Okay, appreciate that. Um, I know you are an IT compliance uh, guru, and I know it seems like if you're not in IT compliance, it only takes about six months before they change the acronym of something, and it's hard to keep up. I mean, uh, like SAS 70, SOC 1, SOC 2, uh, SSA 16, AT 801. I don't even know if that would, you know, they probably changed it again since then, but uh, it's something that I know you refer to as the alphabet soup of IT compliance. And just could you kind of help us uh, understand kind of where, where we are with those now, what those sure, are? Sure. So, so obviously there are just a ton and I think, you know, I wouldn't be able to do justice to, uh, you know, all of them on this call, but, yeah. you know, at the, at, at the very core of it, right, I think, you know, and more, I'm, I'm going to be focused on the ones that are more prominent out here in the U.S., sure. uh, you know, and talk a little bit more about that. So, um, you know, under the AICPA standards, that's the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants. Uh, the SOC reports, okay, not to be confused with SOX, right? That's Sarbanes-Oxley, this is uh, SOC reporting. Um, you know, those are gaining a lot of prominence, okay? And, and you know, I'll tell you there is confusion galore out there in terms <laughs> of what are, the, even under the SOC umbrella, what are the different flavors of SOC reports? You know? So I'll just try to keep it very simple. And, you know, I mean, obviously, if any of your audience, uh, you know, wants to get into more detail, you know, I'll be more than glad to help them. But at, at the very, uh, you know, high level, the SOC reports have three different flavors. One is called a SOC 1, a SOC 2, and a SOC 3. A SOC 1 essentially is uh, relevant wherein you as a service organization impact the internal controls over financial reporting of your clients. Again, long explanation, let me demystify it with a simple example. If you are a company that's processing payroll, or if you are a company that's a collection agency or a third party administrator, what you do directly impacts the financial statements of your clients. So in the case of a payroll company, uh, payroll processing directly impacts their income and expenditure account because of the payroll expense number, the payroll tax number. And then from a balance sheet perspective, the withholding taxes, uh, FICA, FUTA, Social Security, Medicare, right? And so uh, that's where a SOC 1 would come into play. A SOC 2 essentially deals with everything else other than internal controls over financial reporting. Okay, but the AICP has been pretty good about putting some definition around it. The most common uh, framework that we see adopted for the SOC 2 reports is what is called the trust services criteria. And it focuses on five different areas, starting with information security. Then you've got four incremental areas focused around availability, processing integrity, confidentiality, and privacy. Okay, so that's kind of that second bucket. And then I, I mentioned a SOC 3. A SOC 3, quite honestly, is nothing but an abridged version of a SOC 2 report. It's more of a general distribution report. Okay, so very simple. That's one, one area that we see. Then another area that, that we are getting asked more often than not is, you know, ISO 27000 uh, or 27001 to be uh, specific because 27001 deals with information security. Now, 27001 is more of a you know popular uh, as an international framework, but lots of clients in the U.S. are now you know getting asked to comply with that. Again, it's an information security based framework focused largely on uh, NIST, and you know, but that's another one that's gaining prominence. 
Let me also explain another one which we are seeing, especially if uh, companies deal with credit card information. So you may have heard of the payment card industry and the PCI council, which comprised uh, of you know, the card brands, Visa, Discover, Amex, and uh, um, uh, JLB, they uh, are the ones that you know, came up with, these, uh, with this framework and companies that store, process, or transmit credit card information have to comply with the framework. And then lastly, I, I, I think I'll stop here at high trust is another framework. Uh, if you are a company that deals with the healthcare uh, industry and are dealing with healthcare information, then the high trust is um, you know, an example of a framework that you might have to comply with. Now, the reason I kind of gave you these three is you know, many a times clients, they'll hear all of this and you know, their clients will come and say, oh, well, we want you to comply with high trust, right? So the answer to that is, you know, you don't have to necessarily comply with everything. What I would ask the folks out there to do is first and foremost, you know your business well and you know the types of data that you come into contact with. Uh, so understand that. And now that you have an understanding of what kind of data you have, try to understand what these frameworks address, right? So we had a client uh, a while ago come back and say, oh, well, a large hospital system of our, a client of ours is asking us to comply with high trust. And the only thing that my client was doing is that they were a payment processor. You know, they were, there was no way that they were coming into contact with protected health information. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the high trust did not seem applicable, but the PCI was more applicable, right? So I think it's just what I'm asking your audience to do is, you know, urge them to, you know, kind of take a step back uh, and understand these compliance initiatives and see what makes most sense in their world, correct? And then Lastly is many times you don't need to comply with everything, right? If you do one, you might address 80% of your client's concerns. You might not ever be able to address 100% of it, but you'll be able to get 80% out there. And, you know, I would ask them to talk to your clients. Many times clients are very understanding, you know, I mean, they understand, you know, that you, you've got other things to worry about. You've got to run a business and if all that doing is compliance, you're never going to be able to serve them well, correct? So step back, understand that, and try and rationalize with your clients as to what makes more sense, correct? So anyway, I'm just going to keep it very simple at that. And hopefully, uh, you know, I, I know I'll, I can spend hours trying to demystify this, but I hope I've given some context to your, uh, to your audience, uh, you know, in terms of at least getting them to think about this a little bit differently, if that makes sense. Yeah, that was the, the explanation around the SOC reports was really great. I know, I mean, I used to issue SOC one, SOC two reports, and I would get confused, <laughs> you know, like clients would ask me, and I'm like, uh, wait, let me think about it. Or, uh, well, what's the difference between SOC one type one or SOC one type two, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So it, it definitely can be confusing. So I appreciate the, um, the examples you gave also were really great. Uh, and the way, the way you did that. So probably one of the better ways to explain that, that I've, that I've heard, we have talked about a lot, automating it controls, um, really appreciated the, the demyst demystification, if I can say that demystifying the, the IT compliance alphabet soup. That was a really good conversation. Uh, Neil, is there anything else that you want to, to, to leave the audience with? Uh, yeah, Trent, so the first and foremost, thanks so much. You know, I think the only thing, just a little bit about Arc360 uh, and the company, you know, so, so we, we were formed in 2014. Uh, we are focused on helping uh, small to mid-sized uh, clients uh, drive value primarily through IT security and compliance, right? I believe that there's a huge opportunity for you know companies to continue to build and grow and not look at IT compliance as a necessary evil, but truly helping them drive uh, business value. And what we would like to do is kind of help those clients kind of 
to ease their burden of compliance, right? So at the core of it, what, what is it that we do? Uh, on the assurance side, like I mentioned, you know, we focus on uh, some of the key uh, compliance areas such as SOC reporting, PCI, high trust, you know, there are other frameworks as well that we specialize in. Uh, on the risk side, uh, we focus on vulnerability assessments and penetration testing. Uh, we also help companies do social engineering exercises, uh, information security training and the likes of that. Uh, and then lastly, on the compliance front, you know, we help companies get ready or comply with uh, regulations such as HIPAA, GDR, GDPR, or frameworks such as NIST and FISMA. Uh, we, are, we are headquartered in Atlanta, but we do serve firms nationally, and then we have the good fortune of serving several globally as well. So Trent, just that's a little bit, you know, I've been, thank you so much, you know, I've been very fortunate to uh, you know, have been invited by you, and I do hope that I added a little bit of value uh, to your audience. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's good to know we have folks like you that are helping with this because it is a confusing kind of landscape. The whole thing is so. It's good to know that we have good folks like you uh, making it a little easier for us. So, Neil, thanks a ton for coming on. It was great talking to you. Hey, everyone. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Audit Podcast. Whatever platform you're listening on right now, I'm sure there's a subscribe button somewhere. So please hit the subscribe button there. If you're listening through iTunes or Spotify, feel free to go give us that five-star rating. It only took me about 16 seconds to give myself a five-star review. And it really helps to get future guests to come on the show. So we'd really appreciate that. Lastly, be sure to check out the show notes and follow us on all our social media channels on Instagram, on LinkedIn, and on TikTok. Also, if interested, please sign up for our weekly newsletter from the Audit Podcast. Thank you all. Have a great one.